to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. You got to learn the hand signal there. Caleb's taking care of Brother Dan's duties this morning. <laughs> yeah, if I don't turn this on, Brother Dan walks out in the middle there and goes like this to me. <laughs> He's real subtle. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, I look forward to uh, giving you what I have today and Matthew in this, this morning. and We're going to be looking at the birth of Christ and uh, at the Scriptures that deal with it in some detail. And uh, I want to take time to think about what it means that Christ did come to this earth. The issue not being, you know, historical accuracy of exact time and all that sort of stuff. You can go off into the weeds with that as much as you want to. That's not my purpose or issue. The fact is that Christ did come. And there's a reason why He came and a reason why God took upon Himself the form of a man. It gives it in detail in Philippians chapter 2 that He chose to do that. And Christ, who was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, took upon Himself the form of a man. He took on the fashion of a man. And the reason was because He came to redeem man. And uh, we're going to learn a lot about that today. And, and I just want you to, to look at passages which may seem familiar to you, but you might be just surprised by some of the things that a careful and slow reading will show you uh, that perhaps we haven't picked up on in detail before with it this morning. Let's pray together, all right? Father, Lord, I ask for your uh, power this morning as I preach to be able to help your people and uh, to give them what they need from your word. I know your word has it. I'd like to deliver it in a way that would be most useful. I ask in Christ's name, amen. Matthew chapter 1, and it's interesting. Look in verse 18. It begins there. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. In other words, it was in this manner. Here's the, here's the way in which it happened. By the way, the Bible is the only source of true history of this unless you find something which follows what the Bible says. Other people's ideas and thoughts about it are spurious. Uh, the Scripture's correct on it. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was... On this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. This espousal was a, they are already legally committed to one another. In fact, to such an extent that the only way of separation with that was a formal separation, very similar to what divorce is, but it was uh, because there was such a commitment made. But they were not yet husband and wife. In other words, they were not yet fully married. They were, they were, not, uh, they were not living as husband and wife, but they were a spouse. It was a very strong and very sacred and specific period of time here with them. Then look what happens, verse 18 again. Understand that. It says, When as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And of course, nothing has ever been of that nature to happen before or since and could not. And so when the situation became known to Joseph, there were only certain conclusions that could be reached, none of which would be favorable for going forward into marriage because he obviously would have said, there's been unfaithfulness here, something's wrong. But watch what happens. 
Then Joseph, and I want you to take note of this, look in verse 19, her husband being a what kind of man? Very important. He was a just man. He was very even in what he did. He tried to be right. He tried to be proper in what he did. And by the way, Mary also was a very godly lady. I think it's a shame that uh, through some false religion, Mary being exalted so highly so as to even have people pray to her or her actually being uh, referred to as a co-redeemer, which of course she is not. She, I think that we miss a lot of the good that's about her. as a reaction to people worshiping Mary. And we have such a reaction to it as Bible believers, we miss part of what she is. She's one of the godliest ladies you'll ever read about in the Bible. She was a young lady, a phenomenal character. And it's a shame that we can miss some of those things just because of reaction towards some false teachings which have been unfortunately attached to her over the years. And so it says here, this he was a just man and not willing to make, a, make her a public example. He was trying to figure out how not to hurt Mary. He was trying to figure out how not to, not to subject her to some of the things that could come with this type of scandalous seeming situation going on. And so he was minded to put her away privately. But I love the fact about Joseph that he did not do anything just knee-jerk. I wonder how much damage gets done just because people just react instead of acting, instead of thinking. And so he didn't do that. Thank God he didn't. Verse 20, but while he thought on these things, so he's considering this. This is, can you imagine how emotionally wrenching this time would be for him? These are real people. These are not made up people in the story. These are real people. Here's a young lady that he knows to be of great virtue, that she's a phenomenal young lady. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like this doesn't make any sense at all. What in the world's going on? And he's trying to figure out what to do. And so he's waiting and he thinks on these things. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And by the way, he's going to have to face questions. There's going to be things. I mean, <laughs> I mean, think about this. And he said, don't fear about it. He said, you go ahead and, and take her. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. I asked my Sunday school class, and uh, I want you to understand what that name means. Old Testament shows up as Joshua. It's the same root word. Joshua, Jehusos, Jesus. What is it? It means Jehovah saves. Jehovah's our salvation. The Lord God Almighty is our salvation. That's what Jesus means. And he said that shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Thank God. You know, at one point in Jesus' ministry, it was interesting when there were four fellows that wanted to see their friend healed by Jesus, and they were so serious about it. You remember these guys. But they actually went up on the roof of the house because they couldn't get, in, couldn't get him in. Remember that? And they tore up part of the roof and lowered him down in through the roof. Those people are serious about getting the job done. I like people who won't take no for an answer. I don't know if I'd like it as much if it had been my house and there had been a hole in my ceiling. But they, they did that, didn't they? And when he was lowered down, the Bible says, Jesus, seeing their faith, said, Son, be of good cheer. Thy faith has saved thee. And boy, some of the religious leaders sitting around said, who is this that, that dares to forgive sins? Can anybody accept God forgive sins? And Jesus said, so thou mayest know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He said, which is easier? 
to say, thy sins are forgiven thee, or say, rise up and walk. And he had the fellow stand up, take up his bed and walk. Why? Jesus was pointing out the fact that he came for a purpose. The Bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now it's interesting, it says he came to save his people from their sin. What is it? Those who would believe on Christ, those who would accept him. In other words, the people who knew they needed saved. They understood their condition. Look at verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be spoken, which was uh, fulfilled rather, which was spoken by the Lord, by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. By the way, that's written in Isaiah. That was penned in Isaiah 750 years before this happened. Now, let's think about that. You've got a book in your hand, your Bible. If you went back to the book of Isaiah, you could find that in Isaiah 7.14 very easily. You could find the verse from which that comes. But you would not have the understanding. You just went back seven and a half centuries. And God said, this is the way this is going to be, and then that's the way it is. He said, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And we don't have to wonder what that means, do we? Which being interpreted is what? What is it, church? God with us. This was not a prophet. This was not just a man. This was God with us. God took upon Himself the form of a man. He took upon Himself flesh. He robed Himself in flesh. The term that's used, it's not a Bible term. It's, it's an accurate term. It is accurate. But it is not a Bible term. It's the word Incarnation meaning robed in flesh or have flesh on. Like this morning, I put on this suit jacket. Rather, once I got here to the church and put on this suit jacket, I, I put this on and that's what God did. He put him on flesh. He, he became as a man, took on the fashion. In fact, it's one of the words that's used as a man with that. Then look what it says. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. Verse 24 then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. I love this. He's fully associated with her at that point. Anything that's said about her is said about him also. He has completely said, we're together. I love that. Um, the, uh, verse 25, And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, he called his name Jesus. After that, Joseph and Mary's relationship was that of a normal marital relationship. Other children were born unto them. Their names are given in the Bible. These were all from Joseph and Mary. Of course, Jesus Christ had Mary as his mother, but God as the Father. And this is not. Uh, and, and, and so, uh, this is an amazing thing that happened. Look in verse two. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, that little town whose name means the house of bread, that's where He was born. At one point, Jesus was talking to the Jews and talking about Moses. He said, and they were talking about Moses giving the manna from heaven. You remember in the Old Testament, the manna came down when they were in the wilderness and that's how they survived. And Jesus said, Moses gave you not that manna which come down from heaven. He said, my father gave it. In other words, it wasn't Moses' power that did that. Moses didn't have the strength to do that. God did that. But then he went on to teach and he said, but he started telling them about a true manna which came from heaven. And he was referring to himself. He which was born in the house of bread, of course, was, was Jesus Christ. He was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting, and we understand this. You understand if you've been around this church very long. 
have the manger scenes and all that. And of course, we understand they're totally off as far as timing goes. The situation when these wise men come, Jesus is about two years old at this time. You'll see that in the Scripture and it proves it out here. But I want you to understand something. Herod the king was a very vicious man. You have to understand by what happens next. Herod was uh, so jealous of his throne and anybody that might take it from him, he had a wife who he was supposed to have loved dearly. He had her executed because of her association of family members and she thought they could potentially be a danger to his lineage. And even though she did not... Uh, she did not threaten him, that sort of thing, just because of the name and they were attached. This was, this was one of these fellows, you know, everything else was subservient to the fact he was going to be a king, he was going to be in charge, and uh, he was going to run things and rule things. Uh, make no mistake, that spirit is very much still alive in the world that we have today. In fact, much of what's gone on in our world today has everything to do with control, and that's all. Mm-hmm. Who's going to control? Who's going to say do this or going to say do that? That's not a new spirit. That's not an isolated spirit. That is the spirit of the world. And so here's what happens. This this king, Herod the king, these wise men came from the east of Jerusalem saying, they come to Jerusalem, and you understand, you say, oh, okay, however many of these men there may have been, how did they notice them? They didn't come traveling in with just, you know, however many there was. They would have had a large entourage. They've traveled a long way. They have a great deal of wealth with them. You did not travel distances by yourself Anyway, I mean, that's a good way to end up dead. You, you sure certainly didn't travel great distances if you had a great deal of wealth and it was obvious you had some money. You didn't travel by yourself then. You would always have a large entourage. You would have, you know, guards. You would have the people with you. And so when they came into Jerusalem, these people are from a, 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 a distant country and, and it's obvious they're wealthy people and, and, and it's somebody coming into town. And so it, it stirred the excitement when they came in. And that's what's going on here. Look what happens. They came to Jerusalem, verse 2, saying, where is he, look what they ask, that is born the king of the Jews. Now they, just, they just asked something right there. Herod's going to zero in on it. For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Hey, preacher, hold on that way. These aren't Jews. These are not Jewish people. And they are coming to worship the one that's born the king of the Jews. Even in the announcement that the angels gave about Christ coming to the earth, they announced this shall be good news unto all people. Why? Because thank God that the gospel has went out and salvation through Christ is available and always has been to all people who will receive him. And so what happened here? He come in, and, and if you can imagine, you have this extremely, extremely territorial king. And boy, that's an under, understated word there. But look what it says. They, they heard this and they said, we've come to worship him. There's someone was born. Hey, where is he? He said, why would they ask it that way? What city did they come to? Talk to Vince more. What city did they just come to? Jerusalem. What people live in Jerusalem? What kind of people? Jewish people, right? They said, we, ha- we saw the star of the one that's born the king of the Jews. They asked what would be a very natural question. Hey, all you Jewish people, 
in Jerusalem. Where was your king born? And they're like, what? No, no. We, we, your, your, your scriptures tell. We understood from your scriptures that where's he born? They know. And they didn't care. He came into his own. And his own did what? They received him not. Look, at, look further in the verses. I have several thoughts right there, but let me stay on task for this. Verse 3, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. I don't know that they were all troubled for the same reasons, but Herod was certainly troubled because these men came in, obviously men of reputation and wisdom and, and that, and they're saying, where's the king, the king of the Jews? And Herod's like, I'm the king of the Jews. And what? You know, this is not setting real well. And so, verse 4, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, I'm going, I'm going to show you something here. I never saw till this week. As many times I read this. Look at the question that Herod actually asked. He has been asked by the wise men, where is he that is born the king of the Jews? Okay. He responds to that question by calling in the chief priests and the scribes and all these folks who would have knowledge of such things, right? But look at how he chose to phrase it. Verse 4 again. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them, which was Herod's way of doing everything. If you were here for Wednesday night or if you've listened to the sermon on dominion and domination, Herod was definitely into domination. And he demanded, watch what he does, and he demanded of them where, who should be born? Christ. Okay. Herod knows what that means. Who's the Christ? That's, that's the anointed one. That's the Savior. That's the one who's fulfilling prophecy that the Old Testament's talked about, a deliverer coming. And the one who's going to deliver people from their sin. Herod admitted who it was. He, he hears these men from the east say, okay, Where's your king? The king, the king of the Jews is born. We want to worship him. Where is he? Herod turns around and says, where is Christ supposed to be born? He admits he knows who he is. He's like, this has to be the Christ. The Savior of Israel's here. But what is his response? His response is one of hatred and antagonism, not one of worship and not one of accepting. It's sad how often it has always been that people blind their own eyes with a religion, whatever kind of religion it may be, they cannot see who Jesus really is. If all you have is religion today, my friend, you are most assuredly lost. I don't care what flavor of religion it is. Salvation's in Christ and Him only. And so look what happens here. He said, where are the Christ? I hadn't seen that. I actually was sitting there, I was reading real early in the morning and I, I stopped for a while there and I'm like, my goodness. 
I never realized what Herod said. Where is Christ born? Oh my. And they said unto him, just matter of factly, they know it, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So they just rattle it off. Here's where he's going to be born. They know it. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Now, look how calculatingly evil this man is. He brings them in. He says, I want to talk to you. The king says, I want to talk to you, fellas. He goes, now, you saw that star clear over in your country? They've been traveling a good ways. He goes, now, when did this first show up? When did you first notice this? So they go back over it. And he finds out from him. Say, why is that important? Well, you'll see in a moment. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the, look at the phrase that's used, for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Isn't that something? Well, when you find him, let me know. I'll come and worship him too. Do you have any intention of worshiping the Christ? Oh, no. Oh, no. That's not what he has in mind. But that's what he's saying, isn't it? So there you are. Then look, verse 9. When they had heard the king, I kind of like that. They listened to him. These are wise men. They didn't say, we're not going to do that. We don't trust you or anything. You know, they know when not to talk. So they just heard him. You'd do better in some areas of life. You'd learn that. You don't argue every point. Just learn to listen to some things and do what you know is right. And uh, what they said, when they heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they were rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They were happy to see it again. Oh, man, look. And when they were come into the what? House. I had to mess up the manger scenes, but that's what actually happened. So what, what was it at the manger net? Those were shepherds. That had, been, that had been a couple of years before this. When they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him, isn't it amazing? And presented to the, to the parents, unto him, gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. If they had went back to Herod, they would have disappeared. And some, if someone had inquired from their country, I'm sure they'd have gotten the answer. Well, we never saw these people. It's amazing how people can disappear on a traveling venture like that. Well, God warned them, didn't He? These people wanted to seek the Christ and wanted to do good by Him. So, well, they brought Him these gifts and that. Well, there's a lot involved in that, but uh, not the least of which, they're going to need some moving expenses. You say, what are you talking about? Well, watch what happens next. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into where? Isn't that amazing? 
And be thou there until I bring the word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. You know, if you had been a Jew reading Old Testament, it could have maybe been a little interesting to understand some things because it said in Bethlehem of Judea, thou art not the, the, the smallest of the, of the princes, for out of thee shall come a governor which shall rule thy people. So you know he's going to be born in Bethlehem. The Bible says that he shall be called a Nazarene, not a Nazarite. A Nazarite is something different in the Bible, but Nazarene from the city of Nazareth. And it also said, out of Egypt I have called my son. And you could apply that to Moses and the nation of Israel when they came out, because it is applied to that, but it also was a prophecy about Christ. Wouldn't you admit that could have been a little interesting to figure out? Say, what in the world? It says, it's, it mentions Nazareth, it mentions Bethlehem, and it mentions Egypt. <laughs> let me just teach you something about that. It's always best just to let the Bible say what it says and don't try to mess it around to uh, fit what your understanding of a situation is. When you read something in the Bible and you don't understand how it fits, you don't mess it around. You don't look for a new modern version that says something more clearly. Just stick with what the Bible says and admit that you don't know. It's good advice for you. It'll help you. And it really will. And you'll find out you'll end up in the right spot that way. And so look what they do. They said they shall flee into Egypt. And thou shalt be there until I bring the word for Herod shall seek the young child to destroy him. Herod wasn't wanting to worship Christ. Herod wanted to destroy Christ. It's absolutely. You know, I, I, I've urged you over and over again, allow the Lord to work in your hearts and minds so you don't think like a secular people. Thinking that all that's going on in the world is political, financial, and this sort of thing. There's so much more. There's so much more behind it. And there is a hatred for Christ and all that He is, and there has always been. See, not every lost person hates Christ. It'd be a mistake to think they do. Not all of them do. Many don't even know anything about Him. But there is a spirit that does hate Him. And it, and it seeks to destroy and always has. When you come to Jesus' crucifixion, you have Pilate and Herod who had absolutely hated each other. And they came together and were made friends to crucify Christ. They all came together with one common thing, which was get rid of Jesus Christ. It's important to understand nothing has changed about that. The way of salvation has always been through Christ and ever since He was born, the, the, the prince of the power of the air, our adversary, the devil, has sought to destroy Him and destroy those who follow Him. Why? Because He, he has rage that a deliverer has come. And so look what happens here and how it works out. And this great tragedy happens here in, the, in this country. And so um, when they, they, flee, they flee to Egypt, and then verse 14, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. You see the secrecy and the, the, the haste. They have to get away. They've got to do it quickly. They have to do it without being seen. Why? Because they need to, uh, they need to not be tracked and, and stopped. Verse 15, And was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And so that's how that prophecy ends up being fulfilled. Look in verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, as soon as Herod realized those wise men weren't coming back to him, was exceeding wrath and sent forth, and look what this man does, 
and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem. I can't imagine that. Certainly this has happened in history over and over again. Whether it be the long-standing one-child policy that China had, whether it be many uh, times when there's been times of conquest where people have been executed and children executed. But it's never less horrific when it happens. But look what he does. He sends out the soldiers and they destroy in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. That's why he wanted to know when the star showed up. Because if he knew when the star showed up, he knew how old Christ had to be. And so, since he didn't know exactly where to go, he just said, we'll wipe out everybody at that age. And under. Can't imagine that. And a church like ours, it has so many children in it and the nursery full and refilled. There's a perpetual filling of our nursery in this church. And the little kids, and man, you get trampled by little bitty feet in the hallways around here very easily. It's hard to even imagine. We can't even dwell on it really, can we? My mind has, would have a problem dwelling on something that hard. But that's what actually happened. That's, that's what actually happened. And boy, what a terrible tragedy that was that went on at that point in time. You know, this, this little synthetic American Christianity it doesn't realize there's a real enemy, it's a real warfare, is in for a rude awakening. In for a very rude awakening. And so what happens here, he went through and he wiped all these folks out in verse 17. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken of Jeremy the prophet, saying, in Ramah there was a voice heard, lamentation, which is a strong, strong weeping and crying. Lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children. That idea of Rachel there is the idea of the mother of these Israelites. It's not just one lady with that name. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. Then I thought verse 19 is very telling also. And when Herod was what? Yep. He was dead. He faced that, didn't he? And uh, he had to stand before the God that he had so affronted. And so, this man thought he was something, didn't he? He thought everything, he'd destroy anything, they'd take away the throne. But that day came when he was just dead. And that's what happens. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Can I say to you that... Uh, Joseph and Mary kept the angels a little busy for a while there, didn't they? All kinds of different information had to go to them. Saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. Can I say that Mary and Joseph as the guardians of young Jesus Christ were very busy people and they had to be very patient people? Because God was bringing His Son into this world and what He was going to accomplish, which would culminate on the cross of Calvary and would culminate in glory at an empty tomb, that process involved a lot of patience and a lot of perseverance to stay, stay and do what they ought to do when they ought to do it. 
Look in verse 21. He arose, took his young, the young child and his mother and came to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, so Herod's dead, but now his son's on the throne and his son's a piece of work also. He was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream. He turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. You know what's next, don't you? Next thing you have is John the Baptist. You fast forward 28 years. And John comes preaching the baptism of repentance to these people among whom Christ had been born and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then, of course, Jesus would be revealed to him who he was as the Lamb of God. And then his public ministry would start. But here's the thing I want you to understand this morning. When you say there's a lot of richness in these passages, being somewhat familiar with them, it's easy for us to kind of read through them and glide through them quickly, isn't it? It's always a mistake with the Word of God. You miss so much by doing it that way. Um, But what you find out, and you look at these things and stop and think what this means, and think about the time periods, think of the people involved. Now, I want you to understand this, this links to which our God went to come to this earth to take upon himself the form of a man and to take care of every detail so that we could be reconciled to him and that to as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name. I like the songs. I like most of the songs we have for Christmas. There's a couple I really don't sing because they're kind of inane. But the... uh, but most of them are, are pretty good songs that are, that are uh, hymn-type songs. Um, they, have, uh, they have some great messages in it. But the greatest message is, is, what is what was said by the angels. Peace on earth. Say, preacher, was there a time period where there were no wars? Not since the fall there hasn't been. I mean, you just had one family, Cain killed Abel. The preacher was at peace on earth. They were saying it like it was an accomplished thing. Was there a time when there was no, no friction? Nope. What's that talking about? Because peace, the one who is peace, was on earth. Um, earth is not heaven. But heaven most assuredly came to earth. One day when we're done here, we'll get to go to the place where there is peace all the time. But until then, our God's loved us enough that through faith in Christ, we can know what the peace is inside us. 
Not that your life won't have, you know, no conflict in it. <laughs> oh, me. If I know Christ, then I'll have no conflict. No, that's probably more reference to something called being brain dead. No, you have conflict. But there's peace. And it always settles back this way. You see things going on. Things break your heart. Things you have no control over. Things that you wonder about. Things that are aggravating. But you settle back in. And you say, I know whom I have believed. Say, well, what's going on? No, no. Well, how's this? No, no. Well, what do you see as? No clue. Prophet sees a young man's game. Have at it. But I know whom I have believed. And Jesus said it best. He always did. He said, in this world you shall have tribulation. But be of a good chair. I have overcome the world. And God went through these steps and so much more that's involved in here so that we could return to Him. And you think about our backgrounds in this room. What right do we have to claim anything from God? And yet He and His mercies extended to us salvation through Christ. No wonder the Bible chooses to refer to it as the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, thank you for your Bible. Thank you for the truths of it. Pray, Father, you work on hearts that are tender towards you. And you know everybody in the room and whether or not they belong to you. What I ask you this morning, Lord, is someone doesn't know you. Would you send them that convicting spirit upon them, just like you did me so many years ago? They know that they need you and they're willing to trust you. I'm blessed with that this morning. Lord, I pray your people will take comfort in who you are and the fact you loved them enough to take these steps and say this is what I mean by I love you. Amen. Let's stand together, please. We're going to have the uh, song of invitation. Let me ask you this morning, is Christ your Savior? I ask you if you had religion and ask you if you remember this church or any other, but is Christ your Savior? Or is it your own righteousness in which you trust? We're going to have song invitation. If you want to know about Christ, how to know that you're saved, we have people in this room take the Bible, open it, and can show you how the Scripture says you can know for sure that you're saved this morning. Amen.